Let us pray. God, we ask today as we celebrate the Reformation and the faith that is ours and all that you gave us in your word to trust and believe, we ask that you would deepen our understanding of all that you've done for us, especially through your Son, Jesus Christ. Today, we talk about the resurrection. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Every one of your children across the whole spectrum of Christianity believes unequivocally in the resurrection of your Son. Help us to live in light of the resurrection of Jesus with a hope of eternity and the forgiveness of sins in the present. We invite the Holy Spirit to teach us and lead us and guide us and instruct us to take the words of Scripture which you have inspired to be written and illuminate and apply them to us. We ask this in Jesus' good name. Amen. So we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and this chapter is all about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and its implications for us. So it doesn't matter if you, if you ask a Catholic, a Protestant, or an Orthodox Christian, whatever their team may be, whatever denomination or tradition, whatever language, tribe, color, tongue, race, nation, translation of the Bible, theological persuasion, every Christian answers, yes, Jesus lived. Yes, Jesus died. Yes, Jesus rose. We all agree on that. That is the essence of what it means to be Christian. The worshiping of the resurrected Jesus Christ as the only God. The Bible teaches that Jesus lived. We have a good part of his life recorded in the four Gospels. Even the Jews, Greeks, and Romans have historians that testify that Jesus actually lived. It's incontrovertible historical fact. Jesus died, that Jesus died in a brutal way on a cross, that he suffered a ruthless beating. He then was crucified and nailed to a cross and breathed his last. A professional executioner stated that he was in fact dead. And to assure us of that, a spear was run through his side, causing his heart to literally burst wide open and water and blood come rushing out of his side. Jesus was most certainly dead. He then was buried and when he was buried, he was wrapped in a hundred pounds of spices and linen. The evidence from the Bible and other historical records is clear. Jesus died and was buried. So he lived, he died, and he was buried. And then, three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And Jesus told us repeatedly during his life. It's recorded in the scripture. I will die, and three days later, I will rise. He made that guarantee. And three days later after his death, just as he promised, Jesus did rise and the evidence is overwhelming. First of all, there is eyewitness testimony that included people like Doubting Thomas. And Jesus appeared for 40 days to crowds upward of 500 people at one time. 500 people saw him alive after many of those same people witnessed his crucifixion. He was alive and well. He ate with people. He spoke. He taught. He was available. People touched him, verified that this was in fact true, and he physically rose from the dead. This includes the testimony of his own mother, who then worshipped him as God, and his own brothers, who then worshipped him as God following his resurrection. They did not see him as God prior to his resurrection. I mean, what would it take for my brother and sister to worship me as God? It would take a miracle. 
like a resurrection. Not only that, we have the sworn testimonies of enemies of Christianity. Yeah, like the Apostle Paul, who writes this very letter proclaiming Jesus rose from death. Paul went from a murderer of Christians to a pastor of Christians. What does that take? A miracle. What was the miracle? The resurrection. So the evidence is unbelievable and overwhelming. Enemies, friends, families all saw him and said, yes, indeed, he did die and he is alive. What happened then is that people began worshiping Jesus as God. And if you were an Orthodox Jew, to worship any God but the real God would get you in hell. So they needed undeniable evidence to worship Jesus as the one true God. And that evidence was the resurrection. Also, at this time, we know from history that the tomb of Jesus was not enshrined. I mean, when someone is wholly important or dearly loved dies, people visit the tomb to mem memorialize it. To leave flowers, cards, gifts, to sing songs, to weep, to leave commemorative memorabilia of that person. Didn't happen at Jesus' tomb. Why? Because he wasn't there. There was no reason to go to the tomb. If you wanted to see Jesus, you could just go see Jesus. You didn't need to go to the tomb because he was no longer there. He was very much alive. Christians started meeting on Sunday. I mean... Jews had forever met on Saturday. And all of the sudden, these Jews who saw that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah moved their day of worship to Sunday because that was the day of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And lastly, Christianity comes into existence. Billions today, billions of people on earth gather to worship the risen Lord Jesus Christ as the only true God. He is the most worshipped, most revered person and God in all history, and we're part of that history. How can some of you say that there is no resurrection? Those are the words of St. Paul in this chapter. You take away the resurrection of Jesus, there is no Christianity. There is no faith. There's no eternal life. There's no hope. Paul was writing to a church of young Christians in a hip, cool, urban city like ours who had all gone to university and community college and took world religion classes and lots of isms, you know, postmodernism, pluralism, perspectivism, you name it. They began to question the truth of the resurrection because it was the thing to do in that young, hip, cool, urban city. Paul doesn't want them to question the resurrection. I don't want you to question the foundation of your faith. It matters what you believe. Don't let anyone tell you it doesn't. Your beliefs are a matter of life and death. People are going to latch themselves onto all kinds of beliefs to help them cope and get through this life. Only Jesus will take us beyond the grave to eternal life in heaven. Only Jesus. So Paul answers those who question the resurrection by summarizing, here is what we lose if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And then he's going to say, here is what we gain if Jesus did rise from the dead. By the way, this is such a Lutheran sermon, Lutheran chapter of the Bible. It's, it's what excited Martin Luther when he read the scriptures. 
Because God is going to give us the bad news and then he's going to give us the good news, the law and the gospel, all because he loves us so. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. First of all, here's what we lose. You and I and everyone else will be defeated by death. None of us will defeat death, right? Death is our enemy and we hate death. That's why we buckle up. That's why we have airbags. We drink bottled water. We don't want to die. We want to live. And death is our enemy. And it doesn't matter what we do. Eventually it beats us. So we can prolong our life, but we can't extend it indefinitely. Invariably, the ground wins and we're in it. We die. It's over. And Jesus is the only one who has conquered death. The only one who has come back from death. And so if Jesus didn't conquer death, no one will conquer death. It's impossible. Now some say, well, in the future I may have a chance of rising from dead. Really? How do you figure that? Are you any better than Jesus Christ? You'll not beat the grave. I don't care if they freeze you cryogenically, bring you out, put you in a microwave on defrost. You're not going to make it. Death is going to beat you. Death beats everybody. Only Jesus beats death. Secondly, if Jesus is still dead, the apostles' teaching and preaching is worthless. It's a bunch of lies. It's fables, myth, folklore, folly. We should take our Bible, particularly our New Testament, chuck it and burn it. Waste of time. Why? Because the whole of the New Testament is the explanation of the implications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if he didn't rise, then there's nothing to talk about. There is no Christianity. There's no church. There's no truth. There's no forgiveness of sins. There's no heaven. There's no hell. There's no hope. There's no point. Third, if Jesus is dead, Christianity is worthless. It's good for nothing. It accomplishes nothing. It has no hope. It has no help. Because Christianity says Jesus is God who became a human being to identify with us, lived a sinless life in our place, died on the cross as a substitute to pay the penalty for our sins. Three days later, he rose to conquer Satan's sin and death, to forgive us, to allow us to go through the grave into heaven forever with him. And if he's still dead, it's all worthless. It doesn't matter. There's no hope. If Jesus is dead, we're all doomed, and Christianity is a waste of time. Furthermore, Paul says that if Jesus is still dead, you're still in your sins. The wages for sin is death. The consequence of sin is death. God is the living God. You sin, you unplug yourself from the living God. Guess what happens? You die. Unless you get plugged back into the living God, you're not alive. You die and you're separated from God forever. And he is saying, without Jesus, there's no forgiveness of sins. If Jesus didn't die on the cross to take away my sin and rise to make it so, then there's no forgiveness of sins. We're all sinners, stuck, can't stop. Can't stop sinning, not perfect, imperfect. Not living, dying. Not connected to God, disconnected from God, the very source of our life. And he goes on to say, any Christian who died in the hope of rising like Jesus. I mean, you know, they learn that Jesus rose from the dead. And if 
if I love Jesus, I'll rise like Jesus too. And I'll live forever in a new glorified body without the stain of sin and the curse. And this will be wonderful and I can go to heaven. Too bad, so sad. They're all lost. Any of you who have loved ones who died and you thought they were in heaven, I'm sorry, if Jesus didn't rise, neither did they. This is discouraging. Paul says there is no hope. Don't say things like, well, they're in a better place now. A hole is not a better place. That's the way it is. And then he says that Christians are pitiful fools because they worship a dead guy thinking that he's going to give them eternal life. Now some of you have heard that it doesn't matter whether it's true or false insofar as religion goes as long as it works for you. Oh, you believe in Jesus? That works for you? That gives you hope? That makes you a better person? Oh, nice. That is so nice. I'm glad that works for you. And here's where you can challenge that modern-day line of thinking. It does matter. It's a matter of life and death that we believe in Jesus. Paul is saying, if Jesus is dead, it doesn't work. Because you die and you don't get to rise. You don't get to be forgiven. You don't get to be with God. You don't go to heaven. Here's the problem with religions. The problem with religion and belief systems is you don't know if they work until it's too late, right? I mean, you go through life, hey, my beliefs are working for me. I, I feel generally pretty good about what I believe. They help me deal with my stress. They give me some peace. It's working. I think it's working. And then you die. And it's not working so good anymore. You're in hell. And it didn't work like I was hoping. I was a happy Buddhist, and now I'm a hot Buddhist. You know what? Our faith is not just for this life. It's for eternity. And eternity is a really long time. Forever. It better work. Your beliefs are not just for this life. You need to remind your friends of that. So even if your religion works a bit now and makes you feel better, if at the end it doesn't work, it really doesn't work. So it's not about the subjectivity of it makes me feel better today. It's about the objectivity of is this going to get me and all my loved ones through the grave? Will it get me to the other side of eternity? And if Jesus is dead, the answer is no. If Jesus didn't pass through into eternity, then none of us will. And we're pitiful fools who have no hope. We should just embrace the narcissism that is life. We should just embrace the inevitability that life is bleak and terrible and short and awful and painful and horrible and we should stop medicating ourselves with false hope. So, to sum it up, Paul says, if Jesus is dead, what do we lose? Everything. Hope in this life, the promise of eternal life, and everything in the middle that truly matters to the human soul. But, then he goes on to say, but since Jesus did rise, what do we gain? And beginning in verse 20, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I love how he explains Christian death. We don't die, we nap. 
That's what we do. We get a blanket, we roll up on our mat for a bit. That's how it goes for the Christian. And then he goes on to say, for since death came through a man, which man was that? Adam, the father of us all. The resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. Which man is that? Jesus Christ. For as in Adam, our father all die. Now some of you are thinking, I don't think I'm dead to God. I don't think I'm born bad. I think I'm a good person. I mean, that's how bad it is when we think we're good. You're deceived into thinking you're a good person. You say, well, I'm not bad. Okay. Are you perfect? No, I'm not perfect. Well, God sees two categories. Perfect and sinner. Bad. Just two categories. You say, well, I'm not perfect. Well, then you're in the junk drawer with the rest of us sinners. That's the one you're born into. That's the one we're all born into. We're born into the box of sinners, descendants of Adam, with a sinful, rebellious nature imprinted on us, as the psalmist says, sinful from our mother's womb. And then he goes on to say, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Notice in Christ. Wow. Each in his own turn, Christ the first fruits. then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come. That's the end of time, and Jesus is coming back. Hallelujah. Everything will be straightened out when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. First he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. That's what he's doing now. The last enemy destroyed is death. Death. For he has put everything under his feet. Quote Psalm 110 and Psalm 8. So here's what he's saying. Let me sum it up briefly. If Jesus died and did not rise, the answer to the question, what do we lose? Everything. Since Jesus died and did rise, what do we gain? Here's what we gain. First of all, we gain a resurrection. I don't know about you. I don't like being sick. I don't like being old because before I felt better. I don't like the effects of the curse of sin where you get injured. There's pain and you get sick and there's surgery and it's debilitating. And this is the effects of sin on the body and on creation. There will be a day when we die and then we, like Jesus, who trust in him, will rise. We'll get a resurrected body. What awaits us is a resurrection, which means for the Christian, this life is as bad as it gets. And for the non-Christian, this life is as good as it gets. So for us who believe, we look forward to eternity and the resurrected state. No more tears, no more pain, no more sin, no more curse, no more death, no more lies, no more evil, no more funerals, none of that. Gone. Resurrected state. Secondly, we who believe in Jesus because he did rise, we belong to Jesus, not to Adam. That means we belong to life not death. We belong to God, not Satan. We belong to heaven and not hell. That we are all under Adam or under Jesus Christ. That we're born under Adam, but we're born again under Jesus Christ. That none of us is free-willing, none of us is independent. There are the children of Adam who die as sinners, and then there are the children of God who die forgiven of their sin. The children of Adam, so sorry. 
the children of God, they go to heaven. That's it. And we get to pass from being born in Adam to being born again in Jesus by trusting in Jesus who died for our sins to take it away, to rise and conquer our enemy of death. Third thing we get, we will live forever with Jesus in his kingdom. I get frustrated on earth, don't you? I mean, if you're a Christian, you should be frustrated. This world is frustrating. It's cursed. It's fallen. It's a sinful place. Any of you who have ever complained, who have ever been disappointed, who have ever been frustrated, who have ever been let down, who have ever shed a tear, who ever voted in an election, who have ever signed a protest or a petition, all of you with your actions agree that life on this earth is not the way it should be. That things need to change. The good news is that there is another kingdom coming, and that kingdom is not like this kingdom of earth. That kingdom is ruled by the King Jesus, who is loving, benevolent, and good. And in that kingdom there will be no sin, and no death, and no mourning, and no weeping. And it says that God will wipe our tears away. We'll never have to cry again. For those of you who are frustrated with life on this earth, it's because God has put a seed in you, a seed of anticipation for his kingdom. Ecclesiastes says that God has set eternity in the hearts of men and women, that we long for eternity. We're never satisfied with this life. So it doesn't matter if we get married and have kids and make money and buy a house and pursue our dreams, finish our degrees and obtain our career. At the end of the day, there's still something missing. And that missing thing in us is eternity with God our creator in his kingdom. And no matter how much life comes together, it's still not quite what we expected. It's still not what we anticipated. It's still not what we long for. It's still not what we desire because it's still not the kingdom. And we have yet to see the king. He says if Jesus did rise, then he's our king. And if Jesus did rise, he has now entered into his kingdom. And he's coming again and he will be forever our king and we won't need wars and we won't need politicians and we won't need elections we'll have the benevolent dictatorship of the loving lord jesus christ and the only people in his kingdom will be the people who love him and who obey him and who serve him which means we can take the doors off our house and friends can come in and out as they please anytime we can let our children go out and play and we won't need a fence around our yard because nothing will happen to them. It means that our loved ones can be trusted when we're not present with them because they're not going to run away and hurt themselves and they're not going to sin against us. It means that no one will die and sin will not be committed and the effects of sin will not be felt anymore. Paul says that is the future of the children of God who follow in the wake of the resurrection of Jesus, who trust in him alone for the forgiveness of sins. They, too, will follow behind him. He went first, first fruits, first and best. They will be in his wake, brought into his kingdom to experience his blessing. Paul says, what do we lose if Jesus is dead? Everything. Paul says, what do we gain if Jesus is alive? Everything. Hallelujah. Amen.